You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Morning, if you'll be opening your Bibles to John, the third chapter, returning to those thrilling days of yesteryear where Jesus met with Nicodemus by night. Last week we talked about that uh, the setting of that and, and uh, Nicodemus is coming. And today we want to continue that thought, but applying those same things that Jesus taught uh, and seeing how it was that the apostles used them. So we talked about how Nicodemus could and should have understood them up to that point, which was only Jesus' very first trip to Jerusalem, the first three or four, maybe most six months of his ministry, of three, of three and a half years of ministry, Jesus has only done the first few months. And he's come to Jerusalem to teach only for the very first time. And so we thought, well, how much of what Jesus was doing and saying should and could Nicodemus have understood and on what basis? And so Jesus had come to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 2, he had avoided the authorities. He had not met with the high priest. He had not met with the doctors and teachers of the law. Now, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, do you think he could have found those fellows? Sure, he found them when he was 12, and he confounded them with his teaching. But on this trip, he didn't come and meet with them at all. He doesn't talk with them. He doesn't study with them. He doesn't uh, come to the high priest. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, I'm the Messiah. You're the high priest. Let's get together and see what we can do. Right? Let's work together here. He doesn't do that. He's got a plan, and they're going to be part of it, only in the sense that he's going to have to overcome them, not that they're going to cooperate or be with him. But he did, at that time, preach and do miracles among the people. So among the common people who had come to Jerusalem for the feast, he taught them, and he did miracles among them. And Nicodemus concluded that, you know what? If you are doing those things, then God must be with you. So uh, chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come as a teacher from God, for no one can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, how could that be? And then they talked about it. And they had a, a discussion for the next 14 or so verses. So here's the setting. It's the second week we visited this setting. The teacher who came by night, not in opposition, but with questions. The one who was taught because he appeared to be and certainly seems to be a teachable person. And there was a real discussion. What Jesus taught him was famously... These four points as we studied last week. You must be born again. That you, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. And then when Nicodemus was still yet a bit confused, Jesus simplified it for him. and said you need to be born of the Spirit. And when that still seemed to confuse him, Jesus finally said, hey, believe. Believe. And so the main teaching, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. This new birth is explained as being of water and the Spirit. 
simplified in his explanation the second time is just born of the Spirit. And then finally, Jesus says this as an exhortation, believe. It'll work out if you believe. Now, as we mentioned, Nicodemus had plenty of reason to believe these things as a teacher of Israel and knowledgeable. The idea of a new birth, no different in concept than another circumcision. Jeremiah and Deuteronomy both talked about a different circumcision, a new circumcision. Uh, Ezekiel had talked about uh, being given a new heart and a new mind by the Spirit of God. That's Ezekiel 36. And we, taught, we studied that. We didn't mention, but we could have other things, like Ezekiel 37, where there's a whole valley of dry bones, and by the Spirit of God, their flesh is put back on them, and they're made alive. And so certainly God can make a new life. All right, so that's what Nicodemus uh, should have gotten. He should have been able to understand that, I think, better than he did, even though, of course, the grand plan of the gospel is uh, hidden and veiled. It was hidden and veiled on purpose until after the resurrection of Jesus, in which all things were made manifest. The curtain was pulled back. And through the apostles, Paul would tell the Ephesians, these things were proclaimed to the heavenly authorities. And so the, the whole scheme of things... And, you know, I don't know if anybody could have gotten what Jesus said there uh, just be- the day before, or maybe two days before, when he said, tear down this temple and in three days, I'll build it up. I don't know if anybody could have got that one before the resurrection. But the idea of a new birth, especially when Jesus was doing what? Baptizing. And what had John the Baptist been doing for the last year to the whole countryside as they'd come and hear the- him preach? He would baptize them. And so he should have gotten more than he had. But now... That's the teaching. As we mentioned, Nicodemus would not have been the only one there that night. Jesus' apostles, some of them are following him already, some will be called later. But Jesus certainly has apostles there with him already, disciples, because they hadn't had that uh, designation of apostle yet. But some of his early disciples were there, and they would have heard this, and they know this teaching. And so my question is not just what Nicodemus should have gotten from it that night, which I think we addressed last week, But my other question would be, what did the apostles take from it in the years to come? And what did they teach the church on these same four points? Be born again, born of water and the Spirit, born of the Spirit, and believe. What did the apostles take from that? And so we can see uh, from, for instance, 2 Corinthians uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, talking about the idea of being born again, a new birth. Uh, you know, Ezekiel had prophesied a new heart and a new spirit. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul says, we're just going to make it all new. If there's anyone in Christ, therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creature. The old has passed away and new has come. So you're a new creature. You're a new person, some translations will say. You're, you're made new all over in Christ. And then Peter talked about the new birth directly. And Peter talked about the new birth or being born again. He talked about that in connection with, we'll read two passages, one in connection with the resurrection and the other in connection with the gospel. So 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. There's that born again, right? What Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, what did Peter say to the brethren? God, by his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
from the dead. So in the flesh, as Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, in the flesh and in Adam we all die. But in the spirit and in Christ, those who by faith are made alive will live forevermore. And so here is this living hope, and it's through the resurrection. And the way we know that, and the way that's delivered to us, is 1 Peter 1.23. For you've been born again, not of a seed that's perishable, but of imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So by the Word of God and by the resurrection, we can be born again and made a new creature. And then we have six references in John. We won't read all of them. They all six will give us the same idea. But there's six references in John, in the letter of 1 John, about the brethren being born of God. He who practices righteousness is born of him. The one who has his seed abiding in him does not practice sin because he's born of God. Let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the fa- uh, loves the Father loves the children born of him. All right, well, end up reading four out of the six. So six passages in first John about being born of God. Born by love, born by belief, born by right practice. And actually that's the three things in John that John says is a test of a true Christian. So being born again. We see that repeatedly as a concept and as a direct statement from Paul and Peter and John. Who was there that night, you think, with Nicodemus? Paul was not, but uh, Peter and John were. uh, John had it delivered to him later. All right, so in the Gospel of John, John has sort of set this out as a thesis back in chapter 1 in the prologue. In chapter 1 in the prologue, he talks about Jesus, right? The Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He talks a lot about Jesus and a little bit about John. He finally mentions his audience in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, he gave them the right to be children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so John talks about our participation in the things of the gospel as those who believe and are now made born of God. So, you must be born again. What did the apostles all say? Either we were or we have or we should act like we were, but they talk about the reality of being born again. And then we come to the one that in modern day, in modern day has probably received the most amount of attention the most amount of ink, and the most amount of controversy, and that's being born of water and the Spirit. And please, I do not plan to read all those. You don't have to worry about that. If you want the list, it's in the back. But what does it mean of being born of water and the Spirit? Well, even in the end of this same chapter, we made note last week, Jesus uh, was, uh, we find out, uh, baptizing uh, well, John 3 actually was John, John 3.22. Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea. Well, he was baptizing too. And he was baptizing uh, with them. And John was also there because there was much water there. And the people were coming and being baptized. For John was not yet in prison. And then as we roll from chapter 3 to chapter 4, the very next verse, 
Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself was not baptizing any, but his disciples were, he left Judea. All right, so in this very chapter, Jesus is baptizing and John is baptizing. And it even tells us, John does, that Jesus is baptizing more than John. Although at one time I was listening to some teaching on the subject of baptism. And the preacher said, Jesus himself never baptized anybody. Well, that might be technically true, I'm not sure. But even if it is, it's totally misleading. Because what does the scripture say? That he was spending time there and baptizing in John 3.22. And also, that Jesus was making making and baptizing more disciples than John. Then the parenthetical note, well, even though it wasn't him who was doing the baptism, baptizing himself, it was his disciples. I got to ask you, what would the significance be between you doing a thing and you supervising a thing? I mean, seriously, if you're there directly supervising a thing, who's responsible? Who's causing it to be done? And if it was any way wrong or misleading, who should have stopped it? And so this fellow says, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Well, again, maybe technically correct, but probably, uh, but maybe not, but definitely, definitely misleading. And the reason people say such things as this is because of things like this statement. And this is from a pretty popular website. It's uh, where they're answering questions. And somebody wrote in and asked them, what does it mean to be born of water? Well, I think most of us would have an answer for that. What does it mean to be born of water? And so this, this, uh, this, this preacher takes a stab at it, and he gives a couple of different possibilities as to what being born of water means. And they weren't stabs in the dark. Uh, he used some of the same passages from Isaiah uh, that I used, or excuse me, Ezekiel, and talked about some of those same concepts of rebirth and renewal that, uh, that I did and, and used as background, and uh, fine as far as it goes. But it's just it's not all of it. But then he says this, and this is where it's just dead wrong. After giving a couple different things, he says this in this quote, whichever perspective is correct, one thing is certain. So I don't know what it is, but I know what it's not. Guess what one thing to him is certain? One thing is certain. He said, Jesus was not teaching that one must be baptized in water in order to be saved. He said, that's the one thing we know. We know that. Now, how do they know that? Well, he knew that from a a doctrinal presumption. He knew that from the presumption that is inherent in his teaching and his understanding that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Now, salvation is definitely by grace, and I I could almost say alone. And it's definitely, salvation is definitely through faith. Salvation is absolutely through faith. But it doesn't say faith alone in the sense that he means it. Now, interestingly enough, this fella and another other serious reformed fellas, they'll admit that real belief includes repentance and includes re- the fruits of repentance. And I agree with them. Belief includes that. But it also includes uh, the obedience to do what Jesus says. Well, that's what this fellow said of modern times. And that's why there's so much controversy over this verse, because he knows for one thing for certain that Jesus is not teaching that one must be baptized in order to be saved. Now, that is a new uh, position in church history. Uh, even, even most of the early Protestant Reformation guys didn't hold to that. 
And none of the Lutherans still even hold to that now. It's just one subset of, uh, of, of people in the Protestant Reformation, but it's none of the ancient church fathers. Uh, here's a guy named Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. John, the guy who was there. <laughs> so he's a spiritual grandchild of a guy who was there at this meeting with Nicodemus. And Irenaeus says this. He, he goes back and talks about, uh, as an example on baptism, uh, he goes back and talks about Naaman. He said, he dipped himself, says the scriptures, seven times in the Jordan. It was not for nothing that Naaman of old, when he suffered from leprosy, was purified upon being baptized. But it served as an indication for us. For we are lepers in sin. We are made clean by means of the sacred water and the invocation of the Lord from our old transgressions, being spiritually regenerated as newborn babes, even as the Lord has declared, except a man be born again of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Irenaeus said that somewhere around the year 170, 175. Uh, I think he was right. Uh, a guy who lived the same time as him, also in the 100s, so the second century, a guy named Justin Martyr. And this will be the only two of the anti-Nicene church fathers that I bother to quote. I could quote any of them on baptism. They'd all say the same thing because they all spoke with one voice about it. Justin Martyr said, Then they were brought to us where there is water and are regenerated in the same manner in which we ourselves were regenerated. In the name of God, the Father, and of the Lord of the universe, and of our Savior Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. So that's just an expanded version of Matthew 28, 18. Then they received the washing in water. For Christ also said, unless you be born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Born again. He didn't quote the water and spirit part, but he's in this passage. All right, so water and spirit. All right, that's what, that's what a modern guy says about it. And that's what the ancient doctors of faith said about it. What was it that the apostle said about it? Well, here's Paul again. Paul could talk about the universal shared experience of all the believers in the Corinthian church when he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we, that's me, you, and all of us in the church, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Notice the connection there of baptism and the spirit. Of baptizing the water and drinking of the spirit. And who did that? All of us. All of us did. And then we come to the book of Acts. And what did they teach? Well, Peter said, repent and be baptized. In the name of the Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it wasn't just there. It was also in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 16 and chapter 19 in the book of Acts. And then we go to the burial we have in baptism in Romans 6 by the Apostle Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 1, wherever they've been baptized again. And we, we've all been, we've clothed ourselves in baptism, uh, clothed ourselves with Christ in baptism, Galatians 3. Or we find other passages that talk about the connection of forgiveness and of the spirit and of the new birth with baptism. Like Ephesians 5.26, how did Christ cleanse the church? By the washing of water with the word. 
And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, that was Ephesians 5, 26, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, talking about the great list of sins that were present. He said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Washed. The, the washing metaphor is a very strong one used to talk about our forgiveness and placing us in a right relationship with God and sanctified in Jesus Christ. And as soon as you think washing, what do you think? Well, if you're a few of these modern evangelical and reformed people, it's obviously a dry cleaning. But for most of us, we're going down to the riverbank and we're getting down in that water and somebody's putting us under, right? And that's how the washing was done. So of water and the spirit is how you're born again. Now, if we recall again, if we recall again, there was a simplification. When, when Nicodemus, uh, you know, first time when Jesus said, you've got to be born again, he said, huh? how do I, do I go back in my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, you've got to be born again of water and spirit. And then after Jesus explained that, being born of water and the spirit, then Nicodemus must have still been confused because, again, Jesus said to him without prompting, so there wasn't a verbal prompt, but there must have been some nonverbal clue. Jesus said, do not be amazed that I say to you. So the second time he comes back and explains it some more, he said, don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. And then he talks about being born of the Spirit. So he drops the water part, and he mentions only being born again of the Spirit. Now, if you're going to explain something to somebody, and the first time you explain it is two things, and the second time you only explain it is one of those two things, which one are you going to talk about? The one they understand or the one they don't understand? You're going to go back to one they don't understand because I think the water part, again, that's the part that people today stumble all over, but I think that's the part that Nicodemus got better. Because again, what was John the Baptist, the first prophet in 400 years to the people of Israel, what was John the Baptist doing? Well, something that got him the name Baptist, Right? And you can't have a Baptist without water. Now you can have a Baptist, they say the water's not necessary, but you still can't have one without. Uh, in Bible times, you can't have a Baptist without water. And so Jesus dropped that part. And so he's explaining the part that seems to be the more puzzling to Nicodemus, which is again, the spirit part. And again, if we think about the progress of the revelation of the doctrine of the spirit, in the Old Testament, how clear is the revelation of the Holy Spirit? In the hindsight and revelation of the New Testament, we see the Spirit all over the Old Testament, don't we? But we do that in light of the teaching of the New. Nicodemus doesn't have that teaching yet. He's only got the first six months of Jesus' teaching. And so it seems to be the Spirit part that is more troubling. But again, how are we born of the Spirit? Well, again, in, in, we just read from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and the last set of verses, by one Spirit... We're all baptized into one body. And in that, we all drink of one spirit. And so what did the spirit cause everybody to do in the New Testament church? He caused everybody to be baptized who accepted the message. And so now Jesus speaks more, again, about being born of the spirit. How it's like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You, you hear the sound, but you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going, right? But you know it's there. Can you feel the wind? A lot of times right here we can. 
Sometimes, can we almost see it? Well, we can see all the stuff it's carrying with it. Can we smell it sometimes? I mean, the wind is with us. But, but how would you, you know, get a cup of that and loan it to your neighbor? And your neighbor says, no, thanks, I got enough. <laughs> Don't need any extra wind. Just take that back home. No, we, we, the wind is not that tangible in one sense, but in another sense, it's obviously with us. And so it is with the Spirit. So what was the Spirit? Well, he was with the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know you're the temple of God and the Spirit dwells within you? Or the Spirit testifies to our spirit, Romans 8.16, that we're children of God. And so how are we children? And what, how do we have our relationship with one another? And what makes it in that 1 Corinthians 3.16 passage, when he says that you, the, the Spirit of God dwells in you, he's talking there about the local church. I, I know that the temple, that the universal church is a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And I know that the individual Christian is also a dwelling of the Spirit because the Spirit dwells in you, doesn't he? You've been bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. Don't use it for fornication. That's 1 Corinthians 6. But in this passage, the you who is the temple where the Spirit dwells is the local church. It's this same group we're in. It's the same relationship we're in. Why is this relationship as it is? And why is it so important? Because it's a spiritual relationship. There's a lot of other relationships in this room today besides spiritual relationships, right? There's marital relationships. There's familial relationships. Uh, there's people in this room with their cousins and some of their in-laws and some of their outlaws and you know, some of their, their other folks. And there's people in this room with their friends. And I, unfortunately, from time to time, we act like not our friends. But it's not just those connections didn't make this what it is. It's the spirit dwelling in us in this particular group in this relationship in the local church. So we've been born of the Spirit to have that. We're children of God. And again, how did we get that? A new birth, uh, Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we'd done in righteousness. So we didn't get here for our righteousness. We didn't earn our way in. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a washing of regeneration. There's a renewing of the Spirit. Again, that is uh, Ezekiel 36 passage where the Spirit gives them a new heart and a new mind. That's uh, exactly a fulfillment of that prophecy. But anytime we see washing, why does our mind go to water so often? Because that's where the figure's drawn. And so it's a spiritual washing I mean, it's a washing of regeneration. It's a washing of renewal. And baptism is, I'm confident, as the early church fathers were, baptism is the place of that. Well, as we know, Nicodemus, at that point, was still a bit confused. He had said at that point in the proceedings, how can these things be? Now, other, other than water baptism being a part of this, I don't think there's much of anybody who today would go, how could these be? Uh, this is such basic things to Christianity that aside from those who for doctrinal reasons uh, of doctrines developed from other passages who want to deny baptism, I don't think too many people have like Nicodemus a reaction that says, how can these things be? But the final exhortation that Jesus gave Nicodemus when he didn't understand I think it's still an appropriate thing to understand 
and for us at times to use. When we don't understand what the scripture says, when we don't understand what it is fully that's being taught, and we don't see how these things fit together, we might well say, like verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Well, when I don't understand, so when I'm groping around not understanding how can these things be, whatever the topic is, what is a secure place to latch to? Where's a secure anchor point, right? Where's a secure place to hold on? Well, first realize, maybe you should be able to answer this question better. Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and don't understand? And so, you know, if, uh, if the preacher, a teacher of Israel equivalent, if the preacher doesn't understand, maybe it's well time he should. All right? And there's a greater responsibility for the teachers. Uh, but uh, for any uh, who don't understand, uh, think about this, verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen. And you don't accept our testimony. So Jesus is speaking about that class of rulers, that class of people that Nicodemus is with. So if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So again, there's a bit of a rebuke here for him not to understand. So don't ever think, well, I don't understand, but that's okay. Not understanding is a place for the devil to make an attack. Not understanding is a place that error can creep in. Not understanding is a weak point that the devil may probe. And so Jesus says, you need to believe what I say. So, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I came from heaven. I'm in a position to know. So why don't you just listen? Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That's number 16. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And notice this. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So if Nicodemus doesn't understand it right now about this born again, if he doesn't understand about the water and the spirit, if he doesn't understand how the spirit is working, and again, in Nicodemus's place and at the point of the revelation, at that time, I think some of that's somewhat understandable. Then what does he need to do as a secure anchor point? He needs to listen to and believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus would be the key. You know, Jesus had three more years to work and teach, to go around. Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem again, isn't he? Going to be the shepherd. Nicodemus is going to get to hear him again? Probably if he wants. Nicodemus will also, if he wants, uh, he'll get reports of what Jesus has said, and he'll be able to understand better. And so, there'll be time for understanding as the Messiah has another three years to do his work. If he believes in Jesus, with God's grace and good time, won't these things become more and more clear? Well, they will. But there's some already at Jesus' first appearance in Jerusalem. He's barely started his ministry, and they've already shut him off. They've already decided they're not going to believe him. What's the hope for those people? Three more years of work isn't going to help them at all. And so if Nicodemus hardens his heart like that, he's not in a position right now where he can understand what's going on. But is he in enough of a position right now to mess up his understanding in the future of what's going on? Yeah, by hardening his heart. And so he can go one way or the other at any time. I guess we all can. And so Jesus says, look, the key for you is going to be believing. 
And so, well, believe. Believe. And if you believe, then these things will work out. And we'd also note that if you believe, eventually, won't this get clearer? And won't this become obvious what to do? Because Jesus himself is going to boil it all down after the resurrection. In Mark 16, 16, the clearest statement that I know about baptism, and it's from Jesus himself, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach this to everybody. He that what? Believes and is baptized will be saved. All right, now Jesus, I didn't get that. You know, you think, imagine Nicodemus three years in the future. Hey, you know, Jesus, I know I talked to you one night. And I didn't get what you were saying about born again. That water and the spirit stuff, he's making me, I said, that went right over my head. But you're telling me right now today, as a re, in your resurrected self, to believe and be baptized and I'll be saved. And what would Jesus say to that? Yes, that's what I said. That's what I'm saying. Do you think anybody could misunderstand that? Well, if you try hard enough, you can. If you're one of those guys who says, no matter what Jesus is teaching, he's not saying you need to be baptized in water to be saved. He's not saying that. And, and you ought to see those guys do the song and dance around that verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. And then they start talking about the, dis, the, the condemned guy and all this is like, no, saved is believe and be baptized. And so when Jesus says believe now, and if Nicodemus said, well, okay, I'll stick with you. I'm going I'm to give this a shot. I'm going to believe you, and we'll see where this goes. Well, where would it go? Three years from now, it's going to go to believe and be baptized. And, of course, at the first gospel sermon, what's Peter going to preach? No, repent and be baptized, right? And so we teach both of those things. Repent and be baptized and believe and be baptized. And this is what they did in the book of Acts. In Acts 8 and verse 12, when they, the Samaritans, believed Philip's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Well, why were they baptized? I mean, for all these guys who, ever, who always want to say, baptism is unnecessary, baptism is an option, baptism, all these other things, why did all these people who believe keep getting baptized? In Acts 8 and verse 13, Simon, the sorcerer, he himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. A little bit later in Acts 8, uh, Philip is preaching to the eunuch, and the eunuch is the one who stops and says, hey, hey, here's some water. Can I be baptized yet? Oh, sure, if you believe. Well, there we go. One more. Acts 18.8. Under the direction of Paul. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and were being baptized. And so, Jesus' teaching now applied to us. Well, Every one of you, be born again. Be born again. Without that, you will not see what? The kingdom of heaven. How are you going to be born again? Of water and the spirit. And, and what is behind all of it? What's the enlivening thing? What is the thing in which we're being born again to and for? And why in the water and the spirit? Because we believe in Jesus. So we're going to summarize this by believe, Right? But in believing, there's things to do in response, scriptural things to do in response. But the summary of it and the, and, and the thing that keeps us going in faithfulness after that is what? We believe, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for listening to this sermon. 
from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.